Hello, everybody, and welcome to My Angular Story. My name is Joe Eames. I'm your guest host today, filling in for Aaron Frost. You can also think of me as the discount Aaron Frost. And uh, as our special guest, we have Stephen Cooper. Hello. <laughs> this episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. So... Stephen, we're here to talk to you today about you and your relationship with Angular and a lot of other stuff like that. It's always good to kind of just begin with a brief or not so brief background. Like, who are you? What do you do? What are you doing now? You, you know, your basic kind of the stuff that you might give an interviewer to a job, that type of thing. So go ahead. Right. Yeah. So I guess I'm currently based in London, um, lived nearish London, I guess, my whole life. Um, and now, well, I'm still in my first job at a company called G Research. Um, they're doing a like quant, quantitative research and analysis. Um, so yeah, so I've been there for for eight years now. Um, so I've only had one interview. So <laughs> that was a long time ago. And I guess doing Angular, probably for the last four four of those years, starting with Angular JS, um, mm -hmm. I actually managed to introduce the company to. AngularJS, I think we were doing an evaluation between, I think it was like Knockout and Backbone or whether we should start using AngularJS. So that's when I started with Angular. Uh, Knockout, that was good stuff. That was, <laughs> Knockout was my first, what you might consider a client-side uh, framework of some kind. Knockout was my, my very first. I don't think, it, I, I guess, really jQuery is tends to be everybody's first and most people well it, it kind of sits in that realm right but i didn't really consider jquery to really be but knockout right it was bindings it was yeah it was actually it was actually doing something it was that was cool so it was revolutionary. Yeah, so that was that was then and then of course i guess it was through the the upgrade into angular and then i guess fast forward and then i guess it's been quite a big year for me this this year so I did my first I guess, Angular conference at Angular Connect, mm -hmm. um, giving a talk there. And even last week made my first contribution to Angular, which is very exciting. Oh, wow. Wow. Even though it was very small, a, a nice documentation change. But So that's where I'm at with uh, Angular at the moment. Cool. Um, so what about before you got your job? School, what was, what was your uh, background before that? Yeah, so I'm... Um, I guess I did maths and computer science at university here in Imperial. I mean, I had to go to Imperial because my two older brothers went there. Oh, really? And so there was a bit, there was a bit of um, I guess had to keep up with the uh, <laughs> keep up with them. Yeah. So I, I was thinking about doing maths, but then my brother who did maths before me was like, "No, don't do maths. 
do something um, with computing and maths. Mm. So, um, so I did that and during the course, you know, just ended up enjoying the computing side of things a lot more than the maths. And, and so by the end of my course, I was as far to the computing side as I could be. Because I guess I didn't really start programming till I went to university, mm. which is why I wasn't sure whether, I guess, a computing degree um, was the right thing for me to do. Um, Just to translate for our American uh, listeners, maths is the British word for math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's so fun. Of all of the things that are unique between American and uh, British English, the, the pluralization of maths is one of the ones that I find most hilarious. Like, I get it, boot, lorry, lift, those ones all make sense to me. Yeah, so uh, what interested you, you, you went to that university, you wanted to do maths, would you call yourself sort of like a classical, typical, stereotypical math type geek growing up? Is that what, is it always going to be your thing? I was going to do something math logic related? Yeah, I was, that was always the subjects I favored. Um, and I, I, don't know, I had a fantastic maths teacher um, who was so... I guess, hands-on and like, there's just a character who you could look up to. And, you know, basically he was one of those people who could do anything, you know, he like built his own house, you know, he could teach us all this maths and, wow. and so he was like really, I guess, inspirational. And he always made maths seem so practical and so mm. useful. Um, so I think I was always tending towards, I guess, that way. And um, are you are you bitter because he lied to you about the practicality and usefulness of math? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I, I, I loved, absolutely loved math. Like calculus was one of my favorite things, right? Uh, and I'm constantly telling my kids, I've got, te- now they're all teenagers. I'm constantly telling them, you know, go get good grades in math. And then they're like, well, when are we going to use it? And I'm thinking back to in like outside of, well, really even in computer science, what do I do in computer science math related? I add one, right? That's, that's 99% of the math I do in computer science is adding one. And then uh, like, well, the other day in my head, I used some algebra to figure out what my gas mileage would be based on a trip and whether or not I took this car or another car. But yeah, that's using calculus in my regular life. No, unfortunately I don't ever uh, get to do that. I yeah, wish I think that had was, more opportunity. <laughs> that was definitely one of the things I, I guess I ran into transitioning from school into university. Maths or math completely changed um, and became so much more theoretical. Um, so the practical side of the programming and computing suddenly felt, I guess, a lot more real and a lot more applicable to, to things. Um, right. So that's why... I, I guess, move towards, move towards it. Did you, um, <clears throat> did you only, you only started programming at university, you said, is that right? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. The, the only bit of, I guess, programming that I did was I, um, I had, I think they had that Lego, I think it's Lego Mindstorm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you could, I think, drag some blocks about and create a little program to, I guess, program the servers and, I think so when I was at at school, I did a project there um, where I made this, uh, I guess, uh, some Lego just, you know, turn around and then shoot some Lego bricks off to try and knock targets down. So I guess that was like the first time that I had written 
I guess some code or even just you know made the code with the editor to to make something happen and that was I guess the first time that I'd come across it really apart from drawing shapes with um the turtle program I think logo but mm. yeah it wasn't really until I went to university that I did the first bit of uh, programming and that was in Haskell so that was my first my first experience Haskell was your first experience hmm. yeah <laughs> and um that's an interesting first language to have yeah they they explained it to us in that for everyone coming into the computing course there was lots of different experience levels so some people have been programming i guess since they were you know young children but they found that pretty much no one had done haskell so it was this like level playing field for your mm. for your first language um but even still, I definitely felt out of my depth in that first year when other people, you know, could just skip all the, the, the lectures and all the practice classes and just write the code in half an hour. And I would be there sitting in labs with the helpers trying to um, understand um, everything that was, was going on. Hmm. Interesting. So I have, I have a question for you, a funny question for you. What is your least geeky, least nerdy attribute? Right. In what way are you like very a stereotypical? Oh wow, that's a difficult question. <laughs> I mean, I guess being sporty doesn't really make you not geeky. I mean, that's I do like um, you know, sports and triathlon. That's my uh, other triathlon hobby. Yeah. Oh. But oh, I don't know how to answer that really. <laughs> Well, let's tell me a little bit. Just we're going to take a sidetrack here. Tell me a little bit about your uh, triathlon uh, experience and stuff. Yeah, so I, again, I picked that up <laughs> when I got to university and uh, joined the, I guess, the triathlon club there and, and started, I guess, training um, for that and competing, which was quite, quite a lot of fun. Because hmm. I guess previously to that, I'd played a lot of table tennis, uh, ping pong, but so I wanted a break right. from that. Um, and so, yeah, so I took up triathlon and I guess competed for Imperial at some of our competitions that we had. Um, hmm. but I, th I think a lot of that was just, I enjoyed getting out into the countryside, riding a bit of fresh air. It's a nice break from, from the computer labs. Right. Right. Uh, have you ever done an, Iron an Ironman? I haven't done. That's, uh, something I would like to do, but I think at the moment I've got so I've got two small children, five and three, um, and it's just not conducive to doing the amount of training that you need to do right. for an Ironman. And, um, there. Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to do one one day, um, but I think I'm going to have to wait <laughs> a certain amount of years before before I can really put the training in. Hmm. Yeah, I think my favorite idea of a triathlon would be a first-person shooter game, then a real-time strategy game, and then maybe like a sports game. <laughs> All on the PS4. Oh, that would be my triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, very cool. Is Imperial University, they have a pretty big CS program? Yeah. Yeah, I think they do. I think they I mean, the intake was about, I think, 150 or so. Hmm. Um, I don't know whether that counts as big or not, but... How many, languages, how many languages did you ultimately learn while you were at school? So I guess they started us on Haskell and then... Did most of the programming in Java was their main language. So mm -hmm. yeah, that was probably they probably focused on those two two languages the most. Um, 
but then there was quite a lot of, I guess, the theoretical side of computing as well. And I guess as I did a joint maths and computing degree, I probably, you know, missed out on some of the more low level computing side of the courses because we were doing, I guess, like statistics and, mm-hmm. and other pure maths courses. So it was an interesting mix of, I guess, the two subjects. No uh, statistic specific or math specific languages. Like, uh, again, this isn't really my area of expertise, but like oh, R yeah. or stuff like that. Yeah, we, well, we did MATLAB. Um, yep. Yeah, I can't say I look back and think, oh, I loved MATLAB. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the most fun to use. Not your cup of tea? <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, so you left university and you, and this, uh, your job at quanti- quantitative, what was the name of the company? G Research. G, G Research, where you do quantitative research and analysis, which by itself, as soon as I heard that, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't even, under, I don't even have a clue as to what that actually means. So can you give us a, like an understanding of what it is that you're, you're doing? And then, may, then we'll talk about how Angular fits in to that. Okay. So I guess the company as a whole provides a, uh, I guess a trading platform or, or algorithmic trading platform um, so that clients can you know, use that platform to trade algorithmically. Um, and then they also provide um, all the tools for, I guess, a big team of researchers to come up with um, trading ideas that they can then, I guess, sell on to sell on to people. And so my part, my role in the... Now we're talking stock trading? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, all around the world, um, 24 hours a day. Mm. So it's, um, that's the kind of platform that's, I guess, been built up and, and, and is being supported. But then there's also a, a really big, I guess, research side of the, of the firm. Um, and I'm, I guess, based in that side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working for one of the uh, research managers, giving him the tools that he can drill into the, I guess, simulated trading and ideas to see how different you know potential strategies perform over time and whether there's any degradation in them so so my role is really to give him the tools he needs to visualize that data drill into it find out if there's something odd going going on so he can then go and speak to the the researchers Hmm. so i guess that's where i guess angler has come in and producing I guess a web app for him to be able to do all of that investigations in. Huh. Very interesting. Interesting. So did you obtain that uh, job more because of your heavy maths background or was it really just uh, CS? And then as you've been there, is use of your maths background actually been a really important part of your job? Or is it like, you know, for me as a typical business programmer, uh, if, if, if I had gotten through, you know, arithmetic, that would have been sufficient for pretty, literally every job that I've done. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And no, I think the course that I did probably did help fit, I guess what they were looking for. Um, but in rea- reality, the part of the business that I've ended up in, um, I don't need the the mass background. I'm not doing any of the heavy statistical work. It's useful to have a rough idea of what people are looking for, um, you know, when they're looking for correlations in the data. And But that's just more an idea of understanding what our, I guess, our clients want to be able to do with the data. Right. Um, so 
I mean, there's so there's loads of people in my team that you know they don't have a mathematical background, mm-hmm. you know, and they've come, I guess, either more computing, or there's someone who did a politics as their main degree, oh, wow. um, and they're you know working as a programmer, so we're quite <laughs> varied in that in that sense. Um, and and which uh, yeah. side of Brexit does that person fall on? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's. Uh, yeah, that's a fun topic at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, just in London, of course, for uh, Angular Connect uh, as well. And yeah, it's amazing. Like it's just plastered all over and it's just, it's the topic for right now, isn't it? Yeah. Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood. And over the last few years, I've gotten to know a lot of great people within the Microsoft community and specifically in the .NET area. Uh, one of our guests from JavaScript Jabber, Sean Clavo actually reached out to me and said he wanted to start a show on .NET. And there are a ton of people out there that I feel like sometimes get neglected in the .NET space. So if you're one of those folks, uh, you've been listening to maybe one or two of the other .NET focused or Microsoft focused podcasts for a while and thought, well, where's the devchat.tv style podcast for me in .NET? You can find it. It's at adventuresin.net.net is spelled out D-O-T-N-E-T, adventuresin.net.com. Go check it out today. Do you personally wish you were using more of your mass or is that really not what you want to be? No, um, I'm quite happy not to be using it. Um, It's it's funny, I had a a family friend who is involved in another, um, they're also a developer and they really use their math skills, I guess a lot in terms of what they're doing. And it's, it's taken him probably like, five six years to accept the fact that yeah i'm really enjoying just being a developer and i'm and i'm not you know following down that same route of trying to move into the actual research itself Mm -hmm. um because yeah i think i definitely found for myself that i enjoy the visual aspect of making something and and seeing how it fits together and more than i guess trying to understand the you know, the different mass formulas and, and seeing how they apply. Um, right. So, yes, yeah, so I'll leave that to uh, to the researchers. <laughs> right. Right. No, no desire to wear a lab coat to work every day. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Not, th- not that they do that in maths, but still. <laughs> mm. All right. So tell me, um, let's talk about really get into the Angular. Tell me about your first exposure to Angular, what it was like, how that applied to the project that you're working on at the time, and then we'll move forward from there. But let's start about talk about your first uh, exposure to Angular and how you got into it and found it and that sort of thing. So I guess as I was touching on before, the team that I was in, in about, I think it was 2015, um, they're just about to start making some internal web apps. Um, and they wanted to decide whether they should build on the tech stack of other teams in the company, which was um, they were using Knockout and Backbone, or whether they should, I guess, look at any other frameworks that were, I guess, appearing at that time. And how um, long had you been in the company at this time? Um, so I've been there about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess originally I was doing a little bit of C++ in there, um, uh-huh. but I I can't say I was really enjoying that um, <laughs> and say so I, was, I was happy to move towards this other side of the team in terms of starting to present the data. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I remember those initial demos of, of AngularJS where people would 
you know, do the binding on the scope and then you start typing and you'd see it being reflected mm-hmm. um, immediately and thinking, oh, wow, this is, this is amazing. And this is really, uh, I guess, not, not easy, but, um, you know, you could produce something which was reacting to your, to your changes and start putting the pieces together. And I think it was when I then did a bit more research into what uh, recruiters were, I guess, looking for in terms of skills and Angular was beginning to to pop up. And I think that helped convince my manager that, you know, this was a, a good technology to to invest in. Um, right. And and so we did and started producing our first our first Angular app. So when you were playing around with it, had you had much experience with anything else JavaScript related before that? No. Um, so, so Angular is, you know, was my first taste of, of web development, mm. um, which looking back now, I can see I've got lots of gaps in my knowledge um, because I've just come at it straight into Angular. And so I haven't spent time doing jQuery or, you know, and all the like, what you can do with HTML and CSS. So right. I'm definitely aware at this point in time, it's, it's going back and filling in all these, these gaps to give myself a bit more of a, a rounded, I guess, experience and knowledge. Um, cause yeah, I was jumping straight in and just following any tutorials or, or docs that were available. You know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I would call myself to be, I would say that I have more of a medium uh, experience with that. You know, I started doing web development in 99 and, had to do plenty of plain HTML and CSS and then jQuery came around and people just started doing that. And, uh, but now, you know, jQuery is not a very in-demand skill and it's not a very common one. So still people that were around longer find themselves in the same place of, you know, now I do feel like there's this movement back to let's, you, you should be able to manipulate the DOM and understand the underlying, the underpinnings, uh, uh, of what's going on, and that's a valuable thing, even with all these high-level frameworks that are in play. So, it's it's interesting to me to see this constant circle of, and of course, there there's no developer on the earth who doesn't have gaps in their background and their knowledge, <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, nobody knows everything, so there's always places to go back and fill in. Because um, yeah, one of the things I've noticed with that is, I think sometimes you're over-engineer. Uh, problem based on I guess the the tools that you know so you know because I know a new angular so then I try and do everything with angular when actually you know there's there's much simpler ways of doing it with just some raw CSS or or, or things like that so it's so I'm definitely finding it's quite important now to make sure I do understand these building blocks and right and then and use the right tools for the job as a uh... Uh, do you know who Uncle Bob is, Robert C. Martin? Mm, he's he's uh, yet one more developer out there. But um, he said something to me that was very mini- meaningful, which was it's the things that don't change that are important to learn. <clears throat> okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, all right. So your first exposure was to Angular. You saw that it was uh, benefiting, you know, it was getting to be an advanced skill. This is AngularJS at the time, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. You get you so convinced, and that became the project du jour or the the framework du jour, and uh, started using Angular JS there to, to visualize all this stuff. Tell me about what it was like for those. How long did you use Angular JS before you guys started using? Before you personally started using Angular, I guess it was 
I think it was two years. Because mm-hmm. um, I remember going to Angular Connect in 2015. So I did a workshop there and, and, the, comp- and the talks there. And I think 2016 was still on AngularJS and they were talking about Angular 2 coming out. And I think it was 2017 that it actually came out. Mm-hmm. So I guess it was about two years where we were using AngularJS. Um, so in that time, we built up some quite sizable apps. And so that when the Angular 2 did come along, there was, again, this slight pushback on whether we should just, you know, carry on, move them forward to Angular or, you know, there's someone in the team was suggesting, well, you know, it's such a big change. We should potentially look at the other frameworks that were appearing at that time um, and, and reevaluate whether it still is the right choice, you know, because is the effort of going from AngularJS to Angular, is that going to be the same amount of work as going to one of the other frameworks? Um, mm-hmm. So there was a little bit of back and forth on that. But I think what was really helpful is actually going to, I guess, Angular Connect at the time and beginning to get a sense of these upgrade paths. And then that was something that would be, I guess, invested in and, and you would be helped through it. And I think that was something where it was an easy sell to my manager to say, you know, we're going to get all these benefits from Angular 2 and we're going to be helped to get there with our existing apps. Um, And so that worked for most of them. Some of them we decided to just completely rewrite from the ground up because they weren't so big um, and it wasn't too hard to move over the code. So we did that for some of them, but for the bigger ones, I guess they did transition over time. Right. All right, let's talk about uh, the Angular 2 now. You started using Angular 2 roughly a couple of years ago? Yeah, yeah, probably about two years ago. Well, it, now it's just Angular, right? Yeah. <laughs> Angular 2 at the time, <laughs> but now it's just Angular. Um, was the transition for you guys easy, hard, difficult? Did you, were you involved a lot? Did you migrate an actually existing app to it, or did you just start rewriting new stuff and leave the old stuff alone? Um, yeah, we did. I did one migration. Um, but I guess the app that I migrated was quite small. Um, so I guess maybe migration is a generous word of... Uh, I guess creating the new empty app and bringing the code over, but that worked for that for that case. Um, but I definitely noticed that I think with Angular two, um, things became a lot closer to um, C sharp, the main language in our company. And so what we suddenly found was that all the devs who were you know doing all the C sharp suddenly could look at you know, this Angular code and start recognizing the constructs and, you know, the classes and and was a much quicker onboarding, especially with TypeScript. So it just felt a lot more familiar. Um, so I think that's definitely something which has worked well at our company. I think also in other enterprise companies, it's, it's probably a similar story where you've got, you know, your C-sharp developers also doing your Angular mm-hmm. um, development now. Whereas I think AngularJS was, I guess, a little bit more removed and not quite hmm. as familiar. Yeah, you know, you, when you look at it, I feel the same way. But yet, when we were doing AngularJS, I did a lot of that with .NET on the background or Java, or Java which .NET and Java, if you squint, they're the same thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I feel like people at the time, at least, felt that it was just as natural even though you look at it now and it seems, man, the parallels are much bigger. But at the time, I felt like it was a very natural front end to .NET and to Java. Uh, although, in retrospect, it seems much more different. You know, it seems a lot, AngularJS seems a lot more yeah. like Vue or React. 
than Angular does. Cool. So let's talk, let's switch gears just a little bit and let's talk about uh, your community contributions. I want to start with your Angular Connect talk. Tell me about that. Tell me about how that came about. This is your first, it was your first talk, right? This is my first talk. First um, talk. First, first talk. real community, community contribution, which is pretty funny because, I mean, Angular Connect is, there aren't very many stages bigger than that, certainly in the Angular <laughs> world. Uh, over here on this side of the pond, we have our, uh, our conference that we like to say is slightly bigger than Angular Connect. But, um, I mean, that's a, pl that's a big place to, to start off with. So what inspired you to do a talk? What was your talk about? And uh, how did that all come about? Yeah, so I've, I've actually literally today released a, a blog post about this. Um, and Where can so people find that? Uh, can you give us a URL? can find it on my Twitter, um, at CooperDev. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'll go through that because I think, I guess it really started back in 2015, actually going to Angular Connect for the first time. Um, and that was, I guess, the first major conference that I'd actually been to as a, I guess, attendee. Um, I just remember just being so excited about it and inspired and encouraged to see that there were all these other developers wanting to learn new things and, and take these tools back to their company. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a really, I guess, motivating experience. So then I kept, I was able to keep coming back each year. And I think it was probably in 2017 that I started thinking, you know, oh, I wouldn't mind doing a talk up there but at the time it just felt so unattainable yeah i guess i felt so um you know i didn't have the confidence to to think that i you know i could know what i was talking about enough and which is probably true at the time i was still still had a lot to learn um, intimidating yeah it was intimidating um and then i think in 2018 i was i was sitting in a talk by a lady called Bo, and she she opened her talk, she was talking about Nest.js, um, but she started it by saying that the previous year, she was sitting in the audience thinking, I would like to be on that stage. And then, you know, there she was on the stage about to give oh. her talk. And so then I, was, then I was then sitting in the audience thinking, oh yeah, that would be, that would be really cool. I, you know, I want to try and make that happen. But I had no idea um, what kind of talk topic I could cover so I knew I wanted to do it, but I didn't know, you know, what I could talk about. And then earlier, earlier this year, I ran into this problem with a custom select component. And the client wanted to add in lots more metadata into the dropdown. So we had a list of dates, and then they want to be able to label those dates with, you know, either a warning message or whether that date has been archived. So it was basically putting these icons in into the select dropdown. Um, but I couldn't work out how to do it apart from passing flags in you know, via inputs. And suddenly the shared component that I had was getting really, really complicated um, and bloated because you had all these different feature toggles. Mm -hmm. You only really needed for the most complicated use case. And then everywhere else where that component was being used, you had these extra features I guess you had to be careful about. So I thought about NG content, being able mm -hmm. to project these, you know, these icons in. But the problem with that is you don't know where the content's being projected. Right. So you can't tie up the icons with the current, I guess, selected item. So I just I was banging my head against the wall and searching, 
you know, on Google for an answer to this. And it was really hard, as in I couldn't find what I needed. I knew what I wanted, but then it wasn't until I stumbled across a blog post by, um, I think his name is Nathaniel Basil. Mm -hmm. um, and so he was introducing ng template outlets. And so as soon as I saw what he was doing, it was like, oh, this is perfect. Because, you know, you can provide your template and the template understands the context of where it's being displayed and you can have it repeated multiple times. And so I implemented this in our select component and all that complicated logic moved to the, uh, the place, you know, where I was using those features and the component itself became really clean and simple again. And so, and I thought this was, this was really great and this is fantastic. So I, you know, started telling people in my team and, you know, other teams in the company, um, and actually then wrote my first, I guess, blog post about it and posted that internally. Um, that in itself was a bit of a, I guess, a scary experience. Suddenly yeah. thinking, you know, what, what will people <laughs> how many mistakes have I made in this? Um, but I did it. And, you know, some people then, I guess, came and asked me about it or, but probably it went, you know, it just slipped under everyone's radar. Um, mm -hmm. And nobody, I guess, really picked up on it. But then, I guess it wasn't too much after that that then I got the email for, I guess, the call proposals for Angular Connect. Um, and here and you so have this was, perfect material. You and I was like, oh, I've got, I've got a material. I, I'll try and submit this talk. Um, but when I first had that, I thought that you had to produce your slides, write a script you know, have all of that polished to be able to submit. Right. And, um, right. and we were like going through lots of things in our personal life with our family at the time. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to do that. But then I guess we had, I had one warning free. Um, I checked the form, thought oh, I might as well check what they're actually requiring. And it wasn't that much. So I was like, oh, okay, let me just quickly fill in this form and, and hit submit. So I think I just did it in an hour and, uh, and then carried on, <laughs> um, you know, realizing that I didn't have anything to lose by, by trying and, and putting it in there, <laughs> which is, you know, it turned out all right. And then, then I guess the week later, there were time slots, like 15 minute slots you could book with the organizers. So I was, again, I was a bit nervous about actually, you know, speaking to them and, I had no real, you know, now that I've actually spoken to them and met them in real life, they're incredibly friendly people. Right, um, right, right. But so I had some time with um, uh, Pete Darwin and he, you know, helped me look at my submission and, and said he quite liked the idea. So that was quite a nice uh, confidence boost. And so I made a few changes, added in a bit about the speaking experience that I had done internally at my company. Right. I didn't at that time I didn't have any videos of me presenting because then that was something that they had on the form right yeah and then that was it I just I waited and and then I got that email saying we've accepted your talk and I was a bit um overwhelmed you know excited but then realizing oh I've actually got to do this then <laughs> right <laughs> huh 
Adventures in Angular is a devchat.tv production made in partnership with Hero Devs. Hero Devs is a group of Angular experts who can help your team code like true developer heroes. If your team needs an Angular expert, reach out to Aaron at hero.dev today. Have you watched have you watched your talk since then? Yes. Yeah. I uh, I think I watched it on the way as soon as it yes, as soon as it came up. Really? Really? <laughs> Just to see how it, how it came across. And what do you? What's your critique of your talk? I think I could have been more excited about them. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess I was in the, I guess the zone of presenting the material, and I think sometimes I, I could have dropped back and and really tried to, I guess, emphasise just how much these had really helped um, us and the power and how powerful they are. Well. Um, yeah. Your next, your next talk, you, you can uh, work on being ex- a little bit more excited. Yeah, and that's that's what I'm. I'm still working on my submission to NGConf, trying oh, to. Uh, all right. You know, trying to come across the pond. Right. <laughs> so for all those listeners out there, NGConf's CFP will be open till I think Jan- right around January first. What the exact date? So, if you're feeling inspired based on Steven's story. Time to act on that. Let's wrap up by moving into your recent contribution to Angular itself. And let's let's talk about that before we finish up. Yeah, so in actually trying to think about, a, I guess, a slightly new topic for ng-comp, I was looking through, you know, some of the Angular docs in ng-component outlets. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized that in the docs, there was this, they were using the class name of ng-template-outlet example. So it was, it was like, oh, that... That doesn't look right, and that's that could be a little bit confusing. So I thought, oh, okay, I could, I could try and submit a pull request here to, I guess, correct the names mm-hmm. of those of those classes. So I cloned the, well, yeah. So then you start following, and there's quite a long list of um, right. things to read. <laughs> yes, yes. It's not like when you know we're at work where you just clone it, you know, branch it, push it back. Right. You've got to make sure you've got your commit messages right. You've you know followed all their seizures and and so it was actually a little bit more involved than I thought it might be. Right. Just to make some small changes. Um, but in the end, I managed to I guess do that. And at that time, it was also interesting to then find where that code lived because mm-hmm. it wasn't where I was expecting it to be. Because like the actual text of the documentation is not in the same place as the code examples. And then that, so that kind of caught me out a little bit because like the files that I was actually editing weren't where I was expecting them to be. So um, there's definitely something to learn about how Angular actually combines all those things together. But yeah, but I managed to put my pull request together, get the commit message, you know, matching their standard and submitted that. And it got That's merged. That's very cool. That's exciting. very cool. All right. So we're going to enter what we call our speed round. I, this is, I don't, I'm sure Aaron doesn't do this, but I, I really want to do this. So okay. I'm going to ask you four questions at most a one sentence answer, preferably just a few words answer, right? It's all angular related. And uh, if you, if you don't have an answer, it's totally fine to, to find a pass, but you could also feel free to spend a, a moment thinking about it before you answer. But I'm going to ask you four questions about any, this isn't a test, right? This is opinion. Yeah, yeah, I know. Opinion. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then we'll move into uh, uh, picks. So what's your favorite feature of Angular? Oh, NG template outlets. <laughs> <laughs> I, had a th- I had a hit you were going to say that, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't for sure. It wasn't for sure. What's, what do you think is the worst feature of Outlet? What for, feature of Angular, worst part of Angular? 
Oh, oh, I think I struggle there because I haven't got a wide variety of things to compare it against. Mm. I still haven't quite branched out to, uh, to the other frameworks. I think potentially the learning curve and onboarding people in our mm. team that catches them out and, and the potential code that you can write when you're not sure what you're doing is, is quite hairy to then debug. Right, right, I get that. Okay, most confusing feature. Oh, I'm sure there's been quite a lot, but I've forgotten what they are now. Um, Nothing sticks out as being particularly confusing to you. I mean, might have been at the time, but now in retrospect, nothing yeah. is so painful that you still remember it to this day. No, I can't, can't say I do. <laughs> yeah, that's good. It's good. Uh, for me, it would, I would, it's not even Angular 2 feature, thankfully, but transclusion was always my hardest thing with AngularJS. That was oh, yeah. that always made me <laughs> the worst. All right. Uh, what feature, what's the most needed feature that Angular is missing? Oh, I think it's the um, reactive framework. I think Mike Ryan spoke about it at Angular Connect. Mm -hmm. um, just to enable you to, I guess, plumb into the template directly and have your events flow through. Right. I think that was, that's definitely something which looks really great. And mm. that's something which I'm looking forward to. And when which, that um, which Mike Ryan together. talk are you, are you mentioning we should send people to, to it? Um, ooh, can't quite remember the title off the top of my head. Um, or which, which conference was it from? Uh, this is Angular Connect. Angular Connect. So Mike Ryan's talk at Angular Connect. It should be yes. enough for people to find it. Um, yeah. If you remember the title, shout it out. All right. So let's, uh, let's talk about picks, and then uh, we'll finish up again with uh, how people find you, and then we'll be done. So uh, Aaron prepped you on what picks are? Nope. I, I've heard ah. picks at the end of some other things, and they, uh, so I'm trying to work out what picks are, right. um, but I don't think I really understand. Well, really, just anything that you think is cool. So uh, I, on the, another podcast that I read, we don't call it picks. We call it one thing that you would tell a friend about if, you, if that friend did not know about that thing. If, you're like, if you found out that a friend of yours didn't know about a thing, you'd be like, oh, you totally have to know about this movie, book, technology, tool, philosophy, anything like that. So um, I, I'll go first just to uh, give you a few more minutes to, moments <laughs> to think here. Thinking so I'm going to pick miniature wargaming, which is a super geeky thing to pick. And uh, I've been a pretty typical geek doing a lot of like games and video games and board games and things like that. I love board games. But in the last like year I've gotten into first it was painting miniatures and now there's just a lot of cool games out there, such as these war games where you put miniatures out, you paint, you paint your own miniatures, you put them out and you play with other people and in various ways, there's some cool Star Wars stuff. Warhammer is kind of the one that everybody thinks of. Uh, and that's uh, quite popular in the UK as well. But uh, me, I'm more of a Star Wars guy myself. So <laughs> I st stick more of the Star Wars ones. But uh, there's a game called Imperial Assault, which is really fun. You can actually play cooperatively with other people or play versus and, uh, a little bit more like a campaign or a dungeon crawl, kind of like halfway between Dungeons and Dragons and a miniature war game. And there's lots of other things like that. There's a new Star Wars Legion, which is just really just like Warhammer. But I'm going to pick that. It's been, for me, it's actually been great because it's given me for 
a while, I really didn't have a very artistic outlet, but I started painting and it's, it's a very artistic thing, even though, yeah, it's, you know, painting Star Wars miniatures definitely falls on the geeky side of, I'm not like painting flowers, right? But for me, it's, it's a very soothing and relaxing thing to do to uh, get my mind off of work and just chill out and, and do something creative and fun. So uh, there we go. That's, that would be my pick is miniature wargaming and painting. <laughs> So yeah, I guess my pick would be um, uh, dev.to. Ah, I, all right. You know, I wanted to start, I guess, writing down some of the things that I um, had, um, I guess, discovered or was learning. Um, but I didn't want to go to the effort of, I guess, setting up my own website or, or doing all of that. I didn't, I guess, have the, the time to do that. Um, so having dev.to, you know, come up in the last, I think it's last half a year or is it a year now i'm not sure but yeah so you can sign up there and start writing your own blogs and i see it feels like a really friendly place to mm -hmm. start producing articles and already i've read so many useful things on there and i've i've now done i guess three of my uh of my own posts which is quite exciting and definitely feels like the ball's starting to roll because uh -huh. um, there's that there's definitely that writer's block to start with you know, thinking, what can I actually write about? But I think I think it was Sam Julian. I think he put a tweet up earlier this year where he was like saying, the best thing to do is create these really rough uh, posts. So if you've done something, just throw the details into it. Don't worry about writing it up, I guess, at the time. And then you can come back to it and, and flesh out the details and, and, and then turn it into a post. And I think that's been so helpful. Because there's times when I'm I'm at work and I want to write something down, um, but I don't really have the time to to write it all properly. But you can throw the details into you know private GitHub repo and then come back to it and fill out all the details. And that's how I got started. And I'm up to my three posts now, so I'm still very new to it. <laughs> but it, it feels nice to to finally get get going. And and that is thanks to Dev.to. Awesome, awesome. That's a great pick. Dev.to is awesome. Cool. All right. Well, uh, thanks, Stephen, for uh, being on the show. Thanks to all you listeners out there. And uh, we really appreciate your time and your contributions to the community as well. And uh, we, the, my Angular story will be back for another episode. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.